Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. We're back. <laughs> Two weeks. That was a long time. Yeah. That was a really long time. Our first holiday. That was the first time we took a break in like 70-some episodes. Yeah. Which is not good. We really should have a better timetable for taking breaks. It's it's a good thing we don't have lives. No, absolutely not. <laughs> None of us have lives. I know that. <laughs> well, welcome back, guys. It's uh, Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire. Joined, as always, uh, by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College, who apparently has a spell of the vapors. And uh, Dr. <laughs> Phil Barker from Keene State College, whose back is a giant disaster. And uh, he's like, we got a standing desk now. So hopefully he doesn't collapse into a heap while we're doing this. Yeah, all that moaning and pain the last couple of episodes should be less <laughs> this time around. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, before we get started, uh, since we do this every time, and I feel like I haven't done it in forever, uh, forgive me if I forget things. Uh, if you like the podcast or have comments or questions or stuff you want us to discuss, um, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool. Twa- uh, wow. Uh, Barstool um, Paul, P-O-L. Uh, Facebook, I'm on the verge of saying fuck Facebook, but we're technically still on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're at Barstool Politics. Um, what, am, what am I missing? Uh, Rate oh, us iTunes. Yeah. Uh, the podcast you can find on SoundCloud and Stitcher uh, and definitely um, any major podcasting platform. Most of you are listening on iTunes, so review us and share us on there. That helps us a lot. Um, beers that we try, you can find on the Untapped app. We're just Barstool Politics on there. Um, send us suggestions, um, look at reviews, things like that. Um, so do that. It's fun, too. That's good. Fuck Facebook. We, we should say why we should, we're angry at it's, Facebook. Yeah, please do. Well, so I, you know, I had an extra, like, $5, so I thought, let's put an ad on Facebook with one of our recent episodes where I had put together this little meme of uh, the, let's see, it was Kennedy Supreme retiring. Court. Yeah, right. Kennedy retiring, and next to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I said something there, like, you know, retirement is for losers, Anthony. And Facebook pushed back and said, no, your ad is rejected because you guys are political. So the Russians can infiltrate our whole system, manipulate mm-hmm. our elections, but I have a little witty crack about the Supreme Court and yep. we get rejected. Yep. Yeah. Fuck Facebook. Still like <laughs> us on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> go, go to Twitter for most of our stuff. That's, that's what <laughs> yes. we actually update. Oh. Um, busy, busy couple weeks. Oh, yes. Really fun, really fun busy couple weeks, though. It's, you know, it's, we're going to start with foreign policy. It really is foreign policy week on the podcast. Next World's week, fire. yes, we will come back, and we're going to have Tom Cavanaugh on, and we're going to break down uh, the appointment of, or actually the nomination of uh, Kavanaugh. He's going on the Supreme Court. Yes, Tom Cavanaugh. Yeah, yes. we got him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big get. Uh, all right, so this week, uh, foreign policy, three pressing issues are facing our fearless leader, Donald Trump. Uh, Trump is currently in Europe for the NATO summit, causing all sorts of trouble. Then later this week, he's off to Helsinki, Finland, for a one-on-one private meeting, nobody better than the translators, with Vladimir Putin. 
Trump spent the days prior to the NATO summit attacking our NATO allies and their totally weak defense budgets. In just uh, in one tweet just prior to leaving, he stated, quote, NATO countries must pay more. The United States much must pay less. Very unfair. Jeez. Trump also stated that this meeting with Putin will be much easier than his encounter with NATO allies. That's really stunning. Additionally, on the North Korean front, U.S. intelligence agencies believe that North Korea has increased its production of fuel for nuclear weapons at multiple secret sites in recent months, and that Kim Jong-un may try to hide those facilities as he seeks more concessions in nuclear talks with the Trump administration. Kim Jong-un lied, Nick. He lied. Fake news. I know. So this seems to undermine Trump's claim that there was no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea. Trump responded to all this by claiming that, quote, if not for me, we would be at war with North Korea. Uh, Secretary of State Pompeo took, <laughs> took a recent trip to North Korea, uh, which ended with the North Koreans alleging the United States was engaging in gangster negotiations. Shall we start with NATO and Putin and then move to North Korea? I mean, there's, this, this is really fun. There's so much stuff to talk about. It is fun. Uh, Phil, so uh, we, were ta- we were texting this morning about Trump's behavior in NATO, uh, calling out the Germans, attacking NATO, saying that Germany is beholden to Russia. All of this is really bizarre. It, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> More it's than bizarre? Crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's, well, I mean, it's shocking in the... So I try to give him the benefit of the doubt here, right? The the argument that he's making, that he's been making for a long time, which is that the U.S. does more than its fair share in, in NATO, is is a valid argument and a valid point to make. The timing of doing this as he's going to meet with NATO and right before he meets with Putin is is stunning, right? I mean, even if that is your your belief that we've, we've talked before about how you have fights kind of within family, right? And it yes. feels like this should be a family fight in which you have this fight, but you have it at the NATO summit, not in this, you know, kind of very political outspoken um, uh, way. It, it's, yeah, I mean, it's disconcerting for a number of reasons because this goes in line with the sort of undermining of Western, post-World War II Western institutions. Um, I think one of the things that's really interesting about it is that he continues to get the facts wrong. He still talks about this yes. like people pay dues to NATO, which is not how it works, <laughs> no, right? No. The, the agreement in NATO is that every country will spend a certain percentage of their, is it, I guess, 2%. GDP. Yeah, um, and, and by, was it 2024, they're supposed to get to 2%. Right, which they should have been doing the entire time. Right, but they they haven't gotten there. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, right. The way he frames it, Phil, is as if right. the United States is funding all of this. It'd be and, a shame if something happened. <laughs> he keeps yeah. talking about owing the United States dues, which is that's not. It's just a pledge to say everybody is going to spend at least two percent on their own national defense. Right, and and you you know that someone has pulled him aside and told him this multiple times, yes. and he just either I, I mean I guess he just doesn't. I don't know. It's one of those. It would be fascinating to get into his mind. Does he not? Even after being told, does he not get it? Does he not give a shit? Does he? Does he just do this because he knows it plays well politically? <laughs> I don't really understand why this <laughs> right. is happening. But yeah, he continues to talk about. It. I saw an interesting article today, and then I'll shut up. That was talking about um, how, rather than the U.S. pushing all of its NATO allies to spend more on on defense, that if if anything, the U.S. should just be spending less on national sure. defense, right? So Trump is pushing. He was pushing today that we should not only the NATO ally shouldn't shouldn't just get to this two percent, but NATO should push it up to four percent. Um, and and there's a question about whether that is in any way necessary. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of lots of ways to kind of go about talking about this. There's interesting stuff. Why do you think it wouldn't be necessary though? Wouldn't be necessary to go to four percent. Correct. Um, I I mean I don't. 
I don't know. I guess I think that in terms of, I don't see any, uh, Russia, I guess, is the main significant threat to NATO at mm -hmm. this point. Um, obviously, there are potential more long-distance threats from China or from other places, but it seems like Russia is the main threat at this point. And I don't know that, I mean, Russia is, it's a wealthy country. It's a militarily advanced country, but it's not at par in league with NATO countries in terms of their military technology at this point. I don't know that that the difference in defeating Russia is a difference of 2% versus 4% of, of GDP spending on, on defense. Sure. The other important thing to think about here is this is 4% overall of your defense budget. This isn't just money on, on NATO. So most right. of what the United States spends its defense budget on is not NATO related in terms right. of you can, I saw something where they broke it down what the United States spends in Europe. And it's, it's actually less than what the European countries spend on NATO in Europe, right? I mean, so th there's different ways of looking at this. Yes, the United States spends more globally, militarily than anybody else, and that's, that's clear. But there's a different question saying, what does each country spend, and is that spending relevant to NATO interests? And I think sometimes, those, sometimes they are, sometimes they're, they're, they're distinct. This is where making the argument that he's making, if you think that if you think that NATO allies should be spending more, which according to the agreement, they should be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you think that's the case, you can talk about this in a way that encourages them to do that. Right. Talk about the, the, the nature of this of the Russian threat to the, you know, the invasion of Crimea and of Georgia and all of this. Talk about the growing you know, Chinese threat if you want. But talk about how th this is a changing world. You know, we've had this in the past 15 years, this huge shift towards terrorism. There's all sorts of things that NATO needs to be doing in order to stay up to date and up to speed in terms of uh, military technology and training. And you can talk about that, how this is why it's important and why I want to encourage our allies to invest in this, because it is our common goal and it is in our common interest to all stay, you know, up to you know, whatever, up to speed on this. But to do it in this kind of attacking way seems so counterproductive. Because if I'm if I'm German, I, I my response would be you know screw you right I don't, you know, don't tell us what to do. Well, I, I mean here's here's the counterpoint to that. Yeah, but a, a difference between two and four percent of total GDP for these countries probably isn't going to make much of a difference. The issue with that is the total GDP of a lot of these countries, especially in Eastern Europe, isn't enough to make a difference at all. Mm -hmm. So they're completely helpless when it comes to actually defending against a legitimate foreign power, which regardless of what you think about Russia right now, they they annexed part of a, a, a sovereign country, which hasn't been done since the end of World War II, as yeah. far as I know. Yeah, no, Russia's so, legit. Right. Legit so threat. <laughs> regardless of how they're using them or the, the total capacity of their military, they're pretty good at what they're, what they're doing with yeah, what sure. they have. Yep. On top of that, if these countries aren't capable of doing this shit on their own, regardless of how much they're spending on their defense budget, and the U.S. realistically is probably going to make up that difference, then there's a point to be made that either the U.S. needs, I don't, compensation is the wrong word, but there needs to be some sort of concession to the point that he's making. Because realistically, half of the countries in NATO have not gotten to the 2% threshold, including the leader of the NATO countries in Europe, which is Germany. They just haven't done it. So, again, regardless of what total we're spending as the U.S. in Europe, it's just a huge amount of resources that we're spending on this alliance that doesn't seem to be... I don't know what's what's the best term to use. They don't seem to be taking the threat that is uh, at least apparent to some 
as seriously as we are taking it or have been sure. taking it over the past several decades. Well, and this is something with Donald Trump where across many issues where he's not necessarily wrong. It's how he goes mm-hmm. about it. So, you know, presidents going back over time have been pushing European right. countries. This is to not increase the first time. Right. Obama did this. Right. George W. Bush did this. And from yeah. what you hear in the press accounts, behind the scenes, Mattis is having meetings with all these countries, uh, reinforcing his belief in NATO, but also saying, hey, guys, you know, given the threat that Russia now poses, we need to increase. So there's ways of doing that. I wonder, though, is Trump, I mean, this gets back to Phil's earlier question, what's motivating him? Are his antics about increasing spending or is it something else? Because they're so weird and they, they do not seem to be productive toward an end of getting these countries to like you. I mean, right. I woke up this morning and I saw that comment. I thought, you know, I don't think NATO's going away, but this certainly is bad, bad news for the organization. Yeah, it seems like there's two issues at, at stake for NATO, one of which is the the readiness and the, you know, the investment that the countries have to make into their military forces. But another in any alliance is some level of cohesion, right? Some level of, of uh, you know, whatever, inter- some sort of interactive support, right? Um, and uh, it's hard to push one of those without doing damage to the other, right? So you can push the countries to spend more, but that's going to cause internal tensions within the within the uh, within the alliance. The other thing you could do is encourage this, you know, harmony within within the alliance. But you're probably not going to get sure. other countries yeah. to, to right. come along and spend money. And so, yeah, how do you push? You can't, you know, you push one of those and you get resistance on the other. And and it's it's hard to do. I don't I, I don't I don't disagree that that this this is an issue that needs to be addressed. But I I like you, Bill, think that it, it's a weird tactic. It's the Trump tactic, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. he takes this sort of bullying, kind of threatening approach, um, and then he can back away and claim some sort of concession or or solution, you know, afterwards. That's kind of how he did North Korea. I mean, it was how yeah. he's done all his uh, his uh, real estate deals up to this point. I could see him pushing a really hard line, and then you know we should all go to four percent, and then if he gets some sort of concession, he'll he'll claim that as a victory, yeah. right? It's his kind of negotiating tactic. I, I mean, kind of. Going off what you said, Bill, realistically, uh, I don't think that NATO is going anywhere either. And realistically, it's not going anywhere because the U.S. is such an integral part of it. Uh, realistically, there has not been a commander of NATO that has not been an American at this point in, in its entire history. We are so central to the foundational elements of this alliance that I, I think Trump thinks that without us, this means nothing anyway. So what do we have to lose at this point? Either do what you said you're going to do, or we're just going to keep haranguing you until you do. And we'll Mm -hmm. probably push you past that point. I I don't, there's not, besides the optics of it and how, you know, much of a (laughs) shitty bully, Biff Tannen (laughs) asshole that he's being, I I don't see a huge downside to it in the context of, Keeping NATO as a cohesive structure. I'm I'm trying so, to figure. I'll go ahead, Phil. I, I, I see it. I mean, people have written about the post World War II international structure um, in in terms of the U.S.'s role in that, and I think this is one of the ways that it's changing. And that in the past, we knew that we were taking a loss. We knew that we were spending more on NATO than everyone else, and we didn't. We might have cared a little bit, but for the most part, we were okay with that because, I mean, the, by joining an alliance with Estonia, right, Estonia is not going to save the U.S., right, if the U.S. ends up in a major war. But the U.S. likely, you know, might be called 
to 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 fight to defend Estonia against Russia. So there's a lot more to be lost than gained in the short term. But I think the U.S. saw this as part of their leadership role. You do this and you you pay more in the short term in terms of military spending and you play this larger role. But the the payoff for that comes in, you know, U.S. prestige and the U.S. leadership role around the world. And and that was a, a trade off that we were willing to make. And that's something that I think has been eroding some and has collapsed under yes. Trump, right? That's not something that he sees as a as a worthwhile trade-off. See, that, and that's, a, that's an important point because I'm trying to figure out what's motivating his behavior. Why is at the first breakfast, is he calling out the Secretary General of NATO who doesn't know what's coming? Is it because, to Nick's point, is, is he going to push him to say, let's, let's try to increase that spending and I'll embarrass you and my tactics may be unconventional, but you'll get your number up? Or is it that this deeper question of wanting to undermine NATO as an institution? And I don't know what it is. I'm afraid it's the latter, where he's he's indifferent to what Germany's actually spending on NATO. He wants to create some cracks in this institution as a way of making it less globally relevant. I don't know, but my fear is the latter. I don't think that he's trying to undermine NATO. I think he just doesn't. I don't. He he just doesn't value NATO in right. the, in the way that other people have in the past. So oh, I think man. he looks at this, and it's not that he thinks NATO is bad. He's he has spent his life looking at business deals, and he sees this as a bad deal. Right, mm-hmm. we're paying more than everyone else, and so he's not weighing all of those other um, kind of you know, abstract benefits: the the role of U.S. leadership around the world, the role of these institutions in keeping the U.S. central to to global politics. That doesn't mean shit to him, mm-hmm. right? And so it might be really important, but he sees the numbers, right? He sees this as a business deal, in which case the U.S. is getting screwed. Mm-hmm. One of the more funny things about this really bizarre clip this morning is, uh, so this is, the Washington Post had this story. So this morning at breakfast, uh, Trump starts berating the uh, NATO Secretary General about the spending issues and then about Germany. And so this is from the Post. Mm-hmm. In the clip shown above, Trump begins by citing German imports of Russian gas, yep as evidence that, quote, Germany is totally controlled by Russia. And everybody, you can see everybody's like, what is he saying? <laughs> Including <laughs> Chief of Staff John Kelly, who, if you see the video, looks about as uncomfortable as anybody can get. Um, so, all right, so then the question was, you know, this video that they posted, you see Kelly, what's going on? Is he angry? Was he upset with Trump? And the White House released a statement explaining Kelly's curious reaction in a statement to the post white house press secretary sarah huckabee sanders said quote kelly was displeased because he was expecting a full breakfast and there were only pastries and cheese like he's a kid throwing a tantrum <laughs> exactly there's nothing worse than a disappointing breakfast this is very bad. european breakfasts can be disappointing but um <laughs> continental uh... so it's not that trump is alleging that germany is now in the pocket of russia it's that because he only had cheese and tomatoes and a few cucumbers so. <laughs> oh should we talk russia should we talk his putin let's meeting? do that let's transition yeah so now let's see after so he meets with NATO, then he's off to Scotland to his golf course for a couple days, mm-hmm. and then to Helsinki for this one-on-one with Putin. Nick, what are you, what are you predictions? It's going to be great. It is going to be the bestest of friends. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be great. I yeah, I I mean, it's this is another one of those situations where I people like Putin and Kim Jong-un and Saudi Arabia and all of those fun dictators they they just mesh yeah, with they, him they really get well. each other yeah. and they they know how to play that game with that kind of person because yeah. they are that kind of person those types of people yeah. one of those two things 
Um, and and Trump fits easily within right. that group. Yeah. yeah, they're they're guys. You know, they're, yeah. they're they just have that personality. Is anything of substance going to come out of it? Absolutely not. Like, I, I, and that's what I think he enjoys about those meetings. When he goes to Europe, it's a bunch of fucking nerds sitting around a table. He doesn't like yelling them. at him and yeah. staring at him and funny languages and I just I don't know I assume tweed coats or something or I think that's a lot of why he doesn't get along with our European allies like there's something about I don't know if he looks up to them or he doesn't like the way they've gotten success their intellectualism the elite whatever it is but there's something about that he despises Mm -hmm. whereas like uh, you know China or uh, Putin or you know these the other autocrat autocrats he he gets Mm -hmm. yeah yeah again not a lot of substance I would imagine yeah the autocrats aren't facing public pressure at home right, in the same way true. that the Democratic governments are, right? And so um, they can, you know, they can do, they can do whatever Trump wants, right? They are tell Trump whatever he wants. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this. <laughs> I feel like we've talked about this before early on in this whole Trump era, but the idea of him essentially one-on-one in room with Putin is kind of terrifying to me. Putin is smart and has a lifetime of experience in the KGB and has done this sort of thing. And I I just feel like Trump is going to be like putty in his hands. (laughs) So I don't think there's going to be any like significant agreement or outcome from this. But I think in terms of like working Trump towards Putin's ends, I think Putin's going to be really effective at that. It's He's going to be really good at that. And, mm-hmm. and not, I think you're right, Nick and, and Phil, that there's not going to be a tangible agreement. They're not going to come out with some accord that they all side. But there's no doubt that Putin is going to enter these conversations with a clear agenda of things that he wants to achieve. And they may not be, let's have a trade deal or whatever that is, but it'll be something that he wants. Mm-hmm. And the idea that they're meeting with only translators Nobody else. Yeah. That Russian translator is totally KGB. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Plays into what Putin wants to get out of this meeting. And I don't think it helps the United States interest because there's no formal record. Uh, I mean, Putin, for all of these meetings, whenever he's meeting with a world leader, the, the story is that he thinks about, you know, how do I not just have an agenda, but how do I manipulate the space together? Right. There's a famous meeting with Angela Merkel where he brought a dog out and yeah. Angela Merkel's like scared of dogs. And Putin. It's brilliant. Yes. And. He will have something for Trump, not a dog, but it'll be something that will play to Putin's advantage. He, they, they are similar in that way, right? So Putin has this this long history of he's always late to meetings, right? Like an hour or yes. more late, he makes everyone wait to meet with him. The stuff you're talking about, it, it falls into the same category as Trump's like famous handshake, right? Where he, he oh, it's yeah. this idea that I'm going to sort of dominate or impress with, you know, it, it's like playing mind games. But the fact of the matter is that Vladimir Putin's going to be way better at mind games than Donald <laughs> yes. Trump is. No, it's uh, there's no way this comes. The United States is better off after this meeting. And and part of me wonders, why is Trump doing it? I mean, on some level, I think he connects. You're right, Nick. He connects with Putin. And that's a nice diplomatic picture. Mm-hmm. But what could the United States get out of this? Putin, there's no way that Russia's not getting out of Crimea. We're not going to get any real movement in Ukraine. He's Trump is not going to condemn or hold Putin accountable for the election meddling. I, I don't know what the U.S. goal here is going to be. Is there even? I mean, not a public agenda, but I mean, what is the what is what is even the agenda going into this? He's got to get the PP tape in. Who's <laughs> <laughs> just going to hold it over his head until he jumps for it? 
and so it it really is stunning to think about this that that first session where they're just it's just going to be mano y mano and that's going to play out. I, I I don't know to be a fly on the wall there. Uh, Putin certainly will be prepared for it, and Trump has said he's been preparing his whole life for it. So it, it has that's weird. It has to work out well. It's just weird. Yeah. I, I, um, I feel like it kind of came out of nowhere too. Like, I'm, obviously, it's been a busy couple of weeks, but yeah. considering how much lead up there was to um, North Korea, which obviously is is a big deal. Yeah. But with you know coming up to the midterms and election meddling, and you know his comments now with Germany and oil, and it, I just feel like this came out of left field. And I, I re- like like you said, I'm not sure what is actually going to happen what you know what the what the, the curriculum of it maybe it is it, it is to go back to nato maybe it's the optics of nato maybe trump is pissed off about nato and he wanted those two back to back you bookend those mm-hmm. to make it clear that one is or, good and the other is not or putin is smart enough to schedule right. it right <laughs> after yeah. that, NATO that, that ding can, ding 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 also <laughs> which one in that is good and which one is not yeah nato is no good to trump okay be. yeah okay yeah. I, just wanna, I just wanna clarify <laughs> yeah well should we jump to north korea that's worth a few minutes of our time. Yeah, or did yeah, you have more Putin stuff? Of, on the topic of, no, I, well, yeah. as long as we're on the topic of uh, summits that change the world, let's talk about North Korea. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Phil, so is is the handshake, so Trump uh, tweeted something to the effect that we had a handshake, it's a deal. Um, is, the, is the North Korean nuclear threat still, still gone away? Are we still f- sleeping better at night? As far as I know, Donald Trump hasn't said otherwise. Okay. So I think we're good. <laughs> were you were you guys surprised that North Korea lied and lied so quickly? Well, I mean, they had oh. to do something. They, yeah. I, that whole mountain was ruined. They had to find a bunch of places to you know do their work. <laughs> it's really just good management. <laughs> Can't get the stuff out of there. Right. It's it's not surprising. This is something North Korea has done to uh, I guess not, uh, sort of to Obama, but absolutely to George W. Bush, to Bill Clinton. There's a long record of North Korea having these summits, negotiations, agreeing things. Oh yeah, we'll denuclearize. Uh, everybody looks good, and then a couple weeks, months later, it all collapses. So we we talked. I feel like we talked a couple of weeks ago about. When, when this was happening, we talked about what's going to happen when it falls apart, yes. because inevitably it's going to fall apart. And, and we talked about whether or not Trump's going to be pissed, right? Is he going to go back to his rocket man, we're going to bomb the shit out of your yeah. rhetoric, or some other, like, what, what's his response going to be? And his response has been denial, right? I mean, it's basically yeah. been to, to refuse to acknowledge these reports that they're rebuilding their nuclear facilities, to sort of double down on his idea that, that the deal with North Korea is good. Um, that's a little surprising to me that I mean, this seems like it makes him look bad. And but I guess by denying it and saying what what makes him look bad isn't actually happening, that that's how he avoids it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Fake news. Wait, it's think about really this, nice though. Guy, really smart. Guy. <laughs> I like that. What does Trump really him. want? Trump wants the photo op. He wants the handshake. He wants the deal. And then the adoration. Yeah, exactly. He's then he's distracted. Somebody else takes care yeah, of the details. If the details don't work out, eh, no big deal. I, I, I'm guessing he won't go back to Rocket Man stuff because he's moved on to new things. There's new issues. Uh, and, and if I'm North Korea, I'm entirely happy with this. And Pompeo may come back to Trump and say, hey, this is a real problem. we got to do something. But Trump may say, like, no, we shook hands. It's all good now. Um, <laughs> Wasn't it the North Korea camp that was saying that the meetings were a total, or with Pom- the meetings with yes. Pompeo were a total <laughs> disaster? Yeah. Totally regrettable. Or yes, regrettable, like that? and they were being gangster-like. Yeah. And Pompeo is saying all is well. Don't. It's, <laughs> right. it's okay. 
apparently everything the, was great <laughs> at these meetings with Pompeo. He was under the assumption that he would get to meet again or meet with Kim Jong Un. He was not allowed to meet with Kim Jong Un this mm-hmm. time. And the other thing that happened is they had these long, elaborate dinners, like three-hour dinners. Where Pompeo said he just wanted to have conversations, and North Korea is like, "Time for second dinner." You know, Kelly <laughs> would have liked that one. <laughs> yes, bad breakfast. He would have enjoyed that dinner. <laughs> right, now. a full uh, dinner. Uh, so North Korea is clearly playing the United States, and I think Phil, your question is right. How does Trump respond? Um, I, again, I, I think we're not going back to Rocket Man. I think he's he feels like I did what I was going to do. Now there's other things. I'm going to be mad at NATO. I, and I think he might. Mm. If it does continue to deteriorate, I could see him taking aim at China or other people for their role in it, as yes. opposed to targeting North Korea. Which he did in his tweet. He did say that China has been less than helpful, uh, but he didn't. Yeah, he didn't go after Kim Jong Un. He just continued to say like the handshake. The handshake was great. Yeah, Nick's dumb. It's dumb. All it's of it's dumb. It's just yeah. I, I mean, realistically, these are these are initial reports. I I would highly doubt that they're not verifiable but um i i'll be interested to see what happens over the next week if there's any movement on this story um one meeting with the north koreans after what amounted to literally a handshake between the leaders of two countries um i'm not overly surprised i think everyone well i'm not most people weren't optimistic about it i was a little optimistic about it Mm -hmm. um i'm still relatively uh, optimistic about it because i think um, even while this was going on, everyone was saying there's no way they're going to give up their nuclear weapons. We said that. It's right. it's not going to happen. Um, if there's still a way to bring them at least to some extent into a wider economic fold that includes the U.S. and China and other regional powers, that's, I think, still a better alternative than what they are in their current state. So... I'm 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 gonna play it out. Yeah, Let's I, play it out. I, yeah, I I, don't, I think you're right. I, I mean, I think we, we talked a little bit about this as well. But it, and it it ties into the NATO thing. It's not necessarily the 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 facts that are problematic. It's kind of the presentation of right. them, right? Yes. If yeah. if Donald Trump had had come back from that summit saying, "Hey, we've made essentially initial, you know, we've reached out initially to develop whatever relationships with North Korea." Um, it's going to be a long, arduous journey, but we're working on this, then that would have been fine. But it's this claim after two hours that the problem's <laughs> solved, and then the first sign of, pro- of, of, you know, of, of that agreement falling apart, he's you know, just totally denial. The handshake's still good. Like, it's, <laughs> right. the, it's the insanity of the rhetoric that worries me, sure. that, yes. that, is, that is bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. It strikes me that if you're going to solve North Korea, it's going to require constant... Nuclear weapons, <laughs> right, obviously. Right. Constant uh, presidential attention. And I don't think Trump has the interest in continuing to push through the hard details. He likes the, the, the signing. He likes the handshake. That's what he wants to do. He's not going to be involved in this next stage, which to me suggests North Korea may have seen this and predicted all of this. And if so, they've played this tremendously well. Mm-hmm. No more Nobel Prize. I'm, I'm pulling so, it away. So I'm still putting it on the table. Yeah. It's still there. It's still it, there. I, there's it's still teetering pot- on the edge, but it's still there. To your point, Nick, there is the potential for all of this to work out well. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if Trump is going to seize that moment. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. This There's, is time. Oh, I love talking foreign policy. <laughs> it's so much better than the other shows. I know. We should probably talk beer, though. <laughs> Fine. So, Nick, uh, Phil, you start us off. Uh, you are standing at your desk. How, how is standing and podcasting? 
It's great. Is it really? Yeah, I can walk around. I've got one of these cushy pads to stand on. <laughs> Getting old sucks. But but they make stuff for old people now that makes it easier. So And so you can stand, podcast, and drink beer. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I can multitask. So what are you drinking? I am drinking, um, it's called West to East IPA. It's from Pipe Dream Brewing in Londonderry, New Hampshire. It is a grapefruit, citrus, passion fruit IPA. I think you would like it, Bill. Yeah. It's a lot of fruit in, the, like t- in the description. <laughs> I like the New England IPAs. It, it, it was um, not super high in alcohol content, but it was a little bit higher, and it was really hoppy. And my first, like the first half of it, I really liked it. And the more I got into it, the less I liked it. <laughs> I think it was just a little too kind of overpowering for me. But I, I, it was, it was, it was good. Um, and it definitely has that kind of citrusy flavor to it. There's a grapefruit element to oh. it, and that just calls out your name. Yeah, I like the grapefruit IPAs. Ooh, that sounds good. Ooh. Nick, uh, so we are having a uh, easy drinking. Uh, is it Midway? Yeah. Easy drinking IPA from uh, from Goose Island. That's so, a, you know, a, very, a new one. A, a, you know, small local brewery. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm getting a lot of uh, tropical hop aromas, uh, slightly <laughs> sweet malt notes, and kind of a bright, clean finish. All of that is totally not on the can. I came up with that off the top of my head. Um, it's it's decent. It's, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lighter IPA. Um, not, yeah, not. I I didn't get a lot of tropical aromas. I definitely got malt. Yeah, and it's definitely bright and clean. But, this I, I get. The, this is their attempt. Like. Most people drink IPAs are like, oh, that's too much. This yeah. is their attempt to have a more mild IPA. Yeah. I kind of want the real deal. <laughs> like the idea of a more mild, uh, easy drinking all day IPA sounds mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. But then like you, I was like, well, I, I want more citrus. Right. You know, I, I want more hop. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you can drink more of these and, yeah. you know. It's a well, it's it's a good market research yes. IPA. Yeah. They did, they did their research. It's- it seems like a light, easy drinking IPA means you're not actually having an IPA. That's correct. Just just drink a different type of beer. Yep. If you're going to do an IPA, do it right, man. Right. right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> all it's right. Be completely cloudy, or it's got to be a Coors Light. There's no middle ground. I will say, I was watching <laughs> Phil drink the end of his IPA, and he was kind of looking at it like was, there, was there was stuff was floating stuff around. Floating the oh, the yeah. floaties are the best. <laughs> all right, speed round time. Uh, all right, one of the the big news story of the week is that Trump nominated Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. Tom. Oh, that's right, Tom Kavanaugh. Okay. How about the idea that we could have a Supreme Court justice named Brett? Like, hey, Brett. Hey, Brett. What's your ruling, I, Brett? We should change the Constitution to prohibit that. A man named Brett could overturn Roe v. Wade. Is that <laughs> that doesn't seem right? No, he should be getting noogies <laughs> or something. All right, so I can only assume uh, that he is a relative or senior legal analyst, Tom Kavanaugh. Uh, even though Brett spells his last name wrong, Brett Kavanaugh is a politically connected member of Washington's conservative legal establishment. He is a legal heavyweight who, if confirmed, would fill Justice Anthony Kennedy's seat on the Supreme Court and could potentially cement the court's rightward tilt for a generation or more. Next week, we'll be joined by Tom to break down the appointment. But uh, let's preview that session with your initial reactions. Phil, what was going through your head when you heard? I I mean, so (laughs) (laughs) it's no surprise that I tend to lean a little left. No. There was no, there was no person that Donald Trump was going to nominate that was going to be like a pleasant surprise to Democrats, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if Democrats are are upset that this 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 uh, nominee is too far to the right, then I mean that, that those days have long since passed. Yeah. When when a president would go for this sort of moderate candidate to try to appease everyone, so I I mean I don't know. I haven't read as much about him. I, I've 
it's been interesting to watch sort of the left commentate uh, the commentators from the left sort of latch on to all the different reasons why they're worried about him mm-hmm. um, whether it's you know abortion rights women's rights whether I've seen lots of people talking about how he's very pro-business um, anti-environment interested... yeah anti-environment uh, but I've seen other people say that he's not necessarily anti-environment I think it's it, this is where everyone's trying to process a man's like 30-year legal career right in the sort of 12 hours after he gets announced as a nominee. If the if the Judiciary Committee would actually do their work, there's a, there's a shitload of legal documents that he has generated in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. And if they actually take the time to go through it, then it would be fantastic, right? And, and if he's proven himself, then, you know, anyway. But that's not, that's not gonna happen. It's become so politicized. Mm-hmm. They're gonna try to get this done as quick as possible. Yeah. One of the interesting things that I've seen about him is that people have, I've seen people talking about is that he has had because of his tie to the star investigation mm-hmm. with, with the Ken Clinton, star, yeah. um, because of his role in, in several other administrations, he's talked a lot about presidential power and about the, whether or not the president can be brought up on charges or even be investigated. And in, I, I sort of wonder if that's, that's not the avenue that got him this nomination, that his previous statements about how the president can't necessarily, Maybe can't even be investigated, but certainly can't be, um, you know, subpoenaed or, or or brought up on charges. If if I'm Donald Trump, if I'm Donald Trump's lawyer, I'm advising him to pick very carefully on this particular. This and, guy's and good. To, yeah, he <laughs> seems to check all those boxes. I, hmm. yeah, first and foremost, in this thing, if as many uh, different avenues that the left is going about, you know, looking at ways that this guy. Uh, is completely uh, opposed to what they believe in. If you're going to focus on Roe v. Wade and the Supreme Court repealing that, you need to pull yourselves together and realize it's never, ever going to happen. So I I, I just felt the need to say that. Um, when it comes to environmental issues, uh, yeah, he's ruled against uh, the EPA on a few things, but it was in the context of the EPA and other federal agencies were um, overstepping their bar, uh, overstepping their bounds, and creating rules and regulations that weren't under the purview that should be necessary for a federal agency. Uh, something that's that uh, sweeping and, and far-reaching should be uh, in the hands of Congress, specifically, which I don't necessarily disagree with. And you can argue that. Congress didn't do anything and didn't act on it, so the other agencies did something to fill it in. That's a legal, I, like a legitimate legal debate, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I tend to agree with his sentiment in that, and you know we can debate it. Um, yeah, I don't know when it comes to uh, you know his stances on things, and it seems like there's I've been seeing more and more conspiracy theories about the timing of. <laughs> You know, Kennedy retiring yes. and this being the the guy that they're putting in place and just these tirades yeah. and just pages and pages and pages of people saying, well, you know, it's it's because, again, the, the presidential power thing and, you know, that a president can't be prosecuted for anything. And then just this laundry list of things that realistically, if this was any other point in time or if it was the last administration, you would assume that it was coming from some right-wing nut and these are like verified people on twitter they're journalists and cnn contributors and it's just it's pandemonium on the left and they just continue to not realize that this is just how it works now it's 
politicized appointees who su uh, support your viewpoint. Mm -hmm. But even in that situation, I think when you're talking about the Supreme Court, there's enough leeway where it can um, deviate from your preferred, at least from the executive's preferred method of thinking, that it's not a slam dunk on every decision that they make. Sure. In, in many ways, this is yeah, this seconds. decision was very un-Trumpian, the way Trump goes about things. I mean, because I, I may disagree with the legal approach that Kavanaugh brings to the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, I'm not an originalist, but he is a legitimate candidate. Right. So then if you're the Democrats, how do you attack that? It's hard. I mean, the Federalist Society, which puts this list together for Trump, did their homework. They checked all these guys out. They they knew who was going to be a, a, a not going to bring up any red flags. So if you're the Democrats, do you attack him on his decisions? Do you attack the Merrick Garland process? Do you just to Phil, to Phil's point, you could if you're the Democrats, you could demand every single legal document right. and just slow this process down till after the midterms. There's a lot of curious or I'm sorry, a lot of avenues that the Democrats have. None of them, I think, is going to prevent him from being on the court. Uh, but this felt almost like normal politics, Democrats mm -hmm. and Republicans. There was no weird Trump dynamic to all of it. Um, Democrats have to win elections or Maybe conservatives yeah, are going to be able to appoint Supreme Court justices who are going to be able to pursue that legal agenda. I, I am more, I think Roe v. Wade is an interesting question. We can talk about that with Tom. I do, I, I find those who are concerned, I, I think they're Concerns are legitimate. I don't know if that means overturning Roe v. Wade, but certainly nibbling all around that. That's mm -hmm. I think that's where some liberals are very, very unjustifiably there are concerned. Already, there are already, I think, I read saw an article this week, like six states that have laws on the books that say if Roe v. Wade is ever overturned, immediately abort. Like, they've already passed laws hoping for that to, to change. Mm -hmm. um, I Yeah, I don't, I, anyway. I, I mean, I think that the, the end result, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how elections in the U.S. screw things up. Yes. I... <laughs> I know that I get in trouble by, by bad-mouthing the Constitution. I think the Constitution is a wonderful document, but I think it's also time that maybe we should reconsider. The, pres the, the president gets to nominate and the Congress gets to approve. Other countries have, you know, fixed terms for Supreme Court justices. They have Supreme Court justices that are nominated by a panel of judges as opposed yeah. to a panel of politicians. There, there are things that we could do that would try to depoliticize this process mm. that would allow us just to have legal scholars who serve on the Supreme Court as opposed to legal scholars with the right political opinion. And sure. I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that's not, none of that's going to happen. So it is, there's no point in talking about it. But it would be nice in my dream world. Yeah. That's I a good agree. way to end the topic. Uh -huh. <laughs> Compromise. All right. Topic number two. We're jumping overseas to Britain. Uh, British Prime Minister Theresa May is desperately trying to save her government after it was damaged by a seri series of resignations. The turmoil came on top of preparations for this week's controversial visit by President Donald Trump and a potentially thorny NATO summit. At the heart of the problem is uh, progress or lack of it toward Britain's departure from the European Union. May is trying to negotiate a soft exit that would keep intact business connections with Europe. Hardliners are frustrated and want it to be a hard exit. The Brexit debate captures so much of the broader debate over populism. Phil, what should we be thinking about in this development? You're a comparative politics scholar. Yeah, I mean, so the, if, if you haven't followed the details of this whole Brexit thing, the, the, the British voted on Brexit without a clear plan in place. So it has fallen to Theresa. She has a job that is really kind of undoable. Yes. Uh, she is in a really difficult position. She has to negotiate an, an exit 
So all these different people wanted Britain to leave, but they didn't all want Britain to leave in the same way. So she's trying to make this very broad spectrum of people happy. Um, the difference ultimately, I mean, on the idea of populism, the difference between a soft Brexit and a hard Brexit is essentially free movement of peoples, right? So what mm -hmm. the soft Brexit option is, um, Britain will leave the EU, but will look sort of like Norway, which is not part of the EU, but has open, essentially a NAFTA style trade agreement, open trade and open movement of peoples. Um, and a hard Brexit is a really true leaving of the EU, including um, they're not opposed to a trade agreement, but it would not include the free movement of peoples. So really at the heart of this question is the same thing that is, you know, ripping apart American politics, is ripping apart Italian politics and Polish politics and all, all across Europe is this question of immigration, right? And, and so um, it really is back to this theme of, of uh, you know, populism and how much that populism, I, I think populism is really in some ways wrong. It, what, what this is across Europe and in other places is sort of a resurgent nationalism, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and so I, that's, I mean, that's really the, the, the turning point. And, and, you know, Theresa May, again, I, I don't think she can win. No. She can't, she can't, I mean, this is so, she has worked really hard to come up with some sort of agreement with the EU. And it was that sort of outcome of that process that led these other, these members of her cabinet to resign. There's, there's a, there's, you know, a fair reason to believe that maybe her government will fall in the next um, little bit because of this division within her own party about hard versus soft Brexit. Boris Johnson, the foreign minister, or for, what's, I don't know what a specific title is. Yep. Yeah, resigned, and everybody thought, oh, this is it. He, he's a clown. I mean, he's a mm. total clown. He's a clown, but he's also, like, the most recognizable yes. member of the cabinet. <laughs> yes, right? yes. But everybody thought as soon as he left, that was it for the government, and it didn't. They stuck around, and I do wonder, Phil... Is there somebody who wants her job? It's so right. terrible right now. If you're a conservative or even if you're a liberal, uh, I can't, uh, J Jeremy Corbyn, right? If, if, do you want this job? Do you want to be negotiating Brexit? Absolutely not. There's no way, even if you do the job, the minute it's over, everybody's pissed and you're out. But that's the thing. Like, realistically, I, I keep saying realistically. I have to take a shot or something every time I say that. Um, Keeping it real, Nick. Yeah, apparently. Um, apparently, too. Uh I, I think there there's a there's a good possibility that there's someone either in her government or that could potentially be in a future government that does want to negotiate this because they are, like you said, either a more staunch conservative or a more vehement liberal that has a specific stance that they are going to push through regardless of what a fairly large minority or possibly majority of the population thinks it's this middle ground thing where you're trying to negotiate with something that's already in place but we need to you know make as many people happy as possible i i can easily see this turning into something oddly enough into more of a a, a trumpian kind of yeah. situation where someone comes along and says we have a, a clear objective of what we want to do here's the timeline and this is what's going to happen so if you're not on board with this, ah, sorry, we're here now. Like this is this is what we have. It's it's a definitive answer to something that a lot of people will like and a lot of people will hate, but it's something that's getting done. And it's just like in the United States, it feels like the conservative party is being pulled apart. Who's right. going to win? The right. the nationalist conservatives or the pro-business conservatives? Because the pro-business conservatives in Britain want to stay connected to the European Union. Mm -hmm. The nationalists, the populists, they certainly do not um, I, I, yeah, this is it's similar across across the world when you look at these movements. The interesting thing is that Britain, 
essentially had a soft Brexit before. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't a full member of the they weren't a member of the European Monetary Union. They hadn't adopted the 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 euro. They had sort of kept their distance in some ways. So I I don't yeah I I sort of suspect that if you had the election again today, Brexit would fail badly. I agree. I, don't, I haven't seen numbers to to back that up, but I suspect that's the case. Even so, Donald Tusk, the pre- the European Donald Union Trump? president. Donald Tusk. Tusk. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Like, um, he. I think he tweeted something today of the, along the lines of essentially, you don't have to leave, right? Like maybe you should reconsider this whole thing, which, uh, which would know, be the I, right thing to do. Yes, but I can't. But the Conservative Party has sort of painted themselves yes. into a corner here. There's not much. I mean, they were behind this. They <clears> pushed it through. They promised they were going to work it. You know, they were going to negotiate it, and it, it would be a pretty huge. I mean, it, they would. They would have to. They would be ousted from power if they um you're right they back away from it but, but the eu's got to be careful as well because while they want some kind of relationship with britain if they're too soft and too easy then other countries say well why don't we leave right i mean right. so there has to be some kind of penalty for britain leaving but at the same but, time you still don't want you still want economic advantages you i know. mean it, it's a, they're a huge economic power yeah i mean if there's a, a an actual hard, well. yeah it would be a complete disaster yes. if there was a hard brexit on both ends mm-hmm. i i don't think i i would find it very hard to believe that there is anyone on well not anybody but boris boris <laughs> boris would love it um there's just no strategic advantage to to doing that. Yeah. But I think there is a large portion of the, you know, the British population that voted for this because they're tired of yeah. just a wave of immigrants Absolutely. that is changing their culture and, you know, infiltrating areas that, you know, it it, it, it used to belong to them, quote right. unquote. Immigration is a, in many ways, I think the central issue of populism. I don't think, you know, globalization, economic displacement, that matters, but immigration is the big one that's driving this. Mm -hmm. Nice segue to our new topic, Nick. Yeah, go girl. (laughs) So, all right, this week in immigration, we're going to update what's going on. Uh, It's pretty awful, and everyone is still pissed. (laughs) So, (laughs) So nothing's changed. Right. Uh, Faced with a pair of court orders restricting immigration detentions, federal officials said that they could not hold all the migrant families who had been apprehended. Uh, This is the Trump administration. They said that their hands were tied by dueling requirements to release children from detention after 20 days and also to keep them with their parents. So they're stuck, right? You can't hold them for more than 20 days and you got to keep them with your parents. Uh, lost my place here. All right. According to Matthew Albens, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement's Executive Associate Director of Enforcement and Removal Operations. That is a title. Yep. I don't want it, but it's a title. Quote, parents with children under the age of five are being reunited with their children and then released and enrolled into an alternative detention program. That sounds kind. So ankle braces. Right. Just like they used to be. Exactly. He said that means migrants be given ankle bracelets and, quote, released into the community. Uh, There are so many bad stories here. Uh, A number of the children that have been separated from their parents are no longer recognizing their parents. The media optics of this are awful. There's a theme here. This is a crisis that Trump has created. Uh, He hasn't really solved it, although I don't know if the American public is really paying attention. I don't know. Nick? No, they're absolutely not paying attention. Okay. There's a Supreme Court justice opening right That's now, true. and that yeah. is what we need to be focused yeah. on. Forget that. There Fuck are the kids. Thai boys trapped in a cave. That's also true, but they're God. done now, so that, we got to go back to the Supreme Court now. That story was—I loved that story. Everything about it. <laughs> it <laughs> Everybody was, I, did. 
I'm not to get us all too off topic, but it was perfectly captured U.S. media. Yeah. There was a Supreme Court yes. nomination. There's all this stuff going on, and we are enthralled by 13 people halfway around the world that we know nothing about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, while in Japan there are mudslides and hundreds that were killed, right? I mean, right. so it's just the contrast. And again, I'm not right or wrong, but it really was a stunning week in media. It's this story is really just about the media sucking. Yeah, it has nothing to do with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Phil, immigration. The, the you know, I mean. I don't know. It just—it's so bad when you when you get into the weeds and hear what's happening of these children being reunited, not recognizing their parents, being in you know with lice and just in terrible conditions. This is an embarrassment for the country. Yeah, I mean, I this is this is this is in some ways an interesting litmus test or an interesting example of the way politics is changing to some extent to me, because basically we're going back to the way we had done it in the past, right? right? In right. some ways. Um, so, I mean, the, there were there were different legal guidelines that actually bound Trump here. So we've talked about the, the you know the degradation of norms and all other other elements. And in this case, the law is actually held up. You can't there has there has been essentially a regulation on the books that says you can't hold children, you can't detain children beyond a certain period of time, um, which was why the Trump administration was separating them because you, then you can detain the parents indefinitely. Yeah. Um, so then the the response was we'll detain them together, but now you can't detain the children. So, right, they're stuck. Um, but it, it, I think in the past this would have been a pretty big failure for the Trump administration in the sense mm -hmm. of they tried something, it went really badly. It was bad optics. They ended up having to cave and go back to the way things had been done in the past. Um, it seems like sort of a no win for Trump because either you you release you you do what the law requires and you release all of these uh, immigrants into the you know just turn them loose with an ankle bracelet um or you you know any, i just don't i don't see any way how he wins with his base in the traditional sense but in this new world in which trump kind of creates his own reality and talks about this however he wants and makes it seem like the democrats were the ones behind it in the past um i it, it's a it's a really interesting kind of look into the way in which media and um, just American political views and social media and all of that have distorted our realities in this way that I don't know that this necessarily comes back to bite Trump in the ass. This should be a huge failure yes, for him. He, he tried. It's not his fault. It was other people's fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it is. And I think this will play to your point, Phil. This will play. This is playing terribly internationally, but not as bad domestically. Now, that's not to say that there aren't media outlets and there aren't people in the United States who are livid about this. There are, but it feels like it's been caught up in this partisan, uh, I don't know, dynamic where it's like, well, Trump supporters say he's just trying to do a good job. It's difficult. It's nothing. There's nothing to see here. Democrats are livid, but it's it's not a as big of a story as it is internationally, especially. In, in, in South America, where it's really, really right. been all over the it, news. It doesn't seem like this is going to change anyone's minds no. about no. Trump or about immigration. Right. Mm -mm. I, I, when you talk about the international thing, we talked about it, <clears throat> whatever the last time we recorded or something, um, when, you know, Europeans or anyone else in the international community talks about immigration, it, are you okay? <laughs> I'm good. Okay. Um, it, it just, it drives me crazy because, you know, we talked about the story in Northern Africa. I just heard a story this morning about refugees coming from, again, the Middle East and North Africa going into, I think it was Bosnia, and then putting in, putting people like by the hundreds into old dorms where there's no windows, there's no roofs, you know, people are dying on a daily basis. They can't get them food, like real 
horrifying conditions, and that's repeating itself all over the world at this point. And I understand this is a terrible situation, but compared to the scale of what's going on in other parts of the world, it's fairly minute. But we're exceptional, Nick. We're, well, we're an exceptional nation. And that's the thing. You, this is what it comes down to more than anything. You don't want us to have that American exceptionalism thing, but what this screams to me is that we are exceptional and that this is something more important than all the other people that are dying everywhere else. Not more important, but... In, it's in the more context, immediate. Right, right. In the United States, it, it it's right in to, front of my fucking face, so that's all I care about. <laughs> right. It speaks to who you are as a country. Uh, and I think that is why this should be a bigger story for the Trump administration. But I agree with both of you that it's not going to be. Uh, no. it, it will it, it will drag along. And ultimately, Trump's goal of creating a deterrent. And that I, I believe that is his central goal. Absolutely. He wants to make it as difficult and as awkward and as uncomfortable so if you're a young fan, if you're a family fleeing to the United States for asylum or for any other reason, you're going to think twice about it because you're afraid that you're going to be separated. Uh, and to that effect, he may win by losing all of these cases. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, the, uh, the bell rang. Well, yeah. I, again, this is something that needs to be stopped at the source. And there needs to be something done in Central and South American countries that stabilizes governments and creates economic opportunity and stems the flow of migrants and actually gives them opportunity and safety in the countries that they're coming from i yeah yeah i don't know like a lot of like nato and other issues we've talked about this is nothing new this uh, previous presidents have struggled with this uh it's just trump has a unique way of blowing the topic up and not always a productive way mm-hmm. so that phil do you think this would be less of an issue if he weren't? I know, I'm sorry. I know that we're past time. But I was just thinking as we were sitting here, how much of it is his own fault for basically his constant oh. presence on Twitter? Well, I mean, obviously, it's a lot of it's his fault. But I mean, how much of it is the is the sort of ever presence of some of these issues that that make him look so bad? It seems like his sort of constant presence on Twitter contributes to that. It feels like this is the sort of thing that a previous president would have known is a problematic policy and wouldn't have necessarily been throwing out there, you know, in the front of of the media all the time. And it seems like this is an example where Trump's, I don't know, inexperience with kind of the PR side of things might be, I mean, it might be good for the people who are who are being detained, right? Because the issue gets addressed in the media, but it's it's not um, necessarily good for, for Trump. I wonder how much of he... Of, to what extent is he his own enemy here? I, I, I mean, I think we, we've talked about it a lot. Like, I don't think he necessarily gives a shit. I, I think if you're most, I don't know, say, yeah, I'd probably say most conservatives, fairly conservative people in the country, agree with the sentiment. And, you know, the basic sentiment being there are people coming into the country illegally and, you know, increasing numbers, and we need to do something about that because they're breaking the law. Regardless of what the details of that are or the realities of it is, if that's the narrative, yeah, you're going to support that as opposed to the opposition going, or, uh, again, apparently going, quote-unquote, just let them in, open borders and, mm-hmm. you know, global society and all that garbage. And, it, you know, it's... You play to the at this point in American politics and what the political landscape looks like. You play to your side and don't give a shit about what the other side says, and you'll probably still come out ahead, or at least be able to hold on to enough power to 
move on to the next issue of importance. Yeah, he, he has a different yeah. goal. His goal is not necessarily to pursue policy, although I think there is some of that being done here. But it, it's a narrative. You're right. He's trying to create a narrative. He doesn't care the same way George W. Bush did about this issue. And, and I don't think he's running away from it. I think he thinks immigration is the issue, along with the Supreme Court, that is going to help Republicans in the midterms. Yep. Just as you said, Nick, appealing to that base. Uh, it's not a broad uh, coalition strategy. It's a very narrow strategy. Mm-hmm. But I don't anticipate him shifting away from it at all. I, yeah. I think he'll double down on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is where it, the the idea of coming up with a solution or a compromise is precluded when both sides play to their base, right? Yes. That there is something, what you were saying, Nick, which is that there there's something to the idea of, of we, you know, there are limits on immigration and there are laws in place and and we need for security reasons for financial reasons there's lots of reasons why we might want to keep tabs on who is coming in and out of our country Um, there's also something to the other argument which is these are people who have you know terrible situations that they're fleeing from and and if you can take both of those ideas you can say hey um we need to figure out this problem right and it's through addressing the laws or coming up with you know alternatives figuring out ways in which the two sides can come together to address both of those issues but when you just double down on the rhetoric that you know gets your base fired up there's there's nothing to be gained by compromising by actually solving the issue correct Trump, Man, that's depressing. Uh, it, it is. And I think about his tweets. In most of his tweets on immigration now, he's talking about Democrats want open borders. And he's basically saying, and they support, what is it, MS-13? Is that, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that they, they want, you know, they're best buddies with them. And that that is deeply troubling when your rhetoric is so openly, you know, this is what I want. This is what the Democrats want. Because yep. there's, yeah, there's very little room. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. Let's go. We're going deep into the weeds on this. Okay. All right, listeners, don't turn us off. We're going to talk about Poland's Supreme Court. Stay tuned. Real value here. All right, last Tuesday, we go Tuesday. Quick five-minute nap. (laughs) Right. Poland's government carried out a sweeping purge of the Supreme Court. They forced the retirement of 27 of 72 Supreme Court justices. Now, they have a lot of Supreme Court justices, including the top judge and the creation of a judicial disciplinary chamber. That doesn't sound fun. Uh, These were the last in a series of steps by Poland's right-wing law and justice party to take over the justice system. For years, the party has demonized judges as unconstitutional, communist, and obstructionist. After coming to power in 2015, it took control of the Constitutional Tribunal, which is also tasked with ensuring that laws do not violate the Constitution and gave authority over the country's prosecutors to the Ministry of Justice. Um, So tens of thousands have taken to the streets in protest. Phil, we often talk about the slow and almost imperceptible decline of democracy. This feels really fast and really terrifying. I don't think a lot of people are talking about it. But for me, pound for pound, this was a major, major story uh, about democracy around the world. This one actually is interesting. Yes. (laughs) See, it's good. And and, but this is uh, this is where you're you're right. And wrong at the same time. <laughs> You're right that this is a big story about democracy, um, but this has been something that the Law and Justice Party has been doing for a long time. They have mm-hmm. been working towards this end for a for a for a, a couple of years yeah. now. And this is where you know I was talking earlier about how we should have like a panel that nominates Supreme Court justices and whatnot. <laughs> Poland has basically used that idea for for bad. But yeah. I think this is really more a lesson about the politicization about of of the justice system, right? And so. Um, yeah, I mean, they have they have uh, pretty systematically um, they have they have replaced the people who get to nominate Supreme Court justices 
and now they're basically wiping out the Supreme Court so that they can be replaced. Um, and they've done it, again, democratically, yes. right? They, they were democratically elected. They've done it through um, changes to laws and to the Constitution. This is the, this is the thing. I think Americans tend to think about democracy falling in the form of revolutions or military coups, but this is how democracies fall, right? They fall through subtle and small changes in the Constitution and in the laws and changes to the norms. And it happens little by little. I mean, this, Poland was Poland has been the, um, a huge democratic success story um, until very recently. The, the law that you're talking about, what they did is they based, I guess, retirement for justices was 70, and they bumped it down to 65. And their argument basically was, well, at 70, you know, between 65 and 70, you're not in the same capacity as you were as younger. But th what they were really trying to do is get rid of these older justices. Who are voting against the party so it's a very savvy move to eliminate your opposition but to do so in a way that says this is for the betterment of the country uh, it, it, it's and really they, slick and they didn't do this until they had stacked the sort of nominating yes. committee with people from their own party so mm -hmm. it's it is all i mean this is it was very methodical the yeah. way that this was done mm -hmm. and, and go ahead god it's just really it's just really <laughs> sad right i mean poland has been you know, from, from Poland was a solidarity movement was part of what there was this huge democratic impulse that came out of Poland that helped bring down communism across Eastern Europe and mm -hmm. to see and, and they embraced the West and they embraced democracy and to see that in a period of less than 30 years go from this kind of wholehearted embrace of democracy to this very quick sort of uh, yeah, collapse of that system. I don't know that you can call it a collapse at that point, erosion of that system. Yeah. It, it's it's depressing yeah i i mean i always like you said with with the history of poland uh and especially over the past few years they seem to be the canary in the coal mine when it comes to political movements in europe and especially eastern europe but moving towards yesterday uh, western europe okay um yeah it's i i i don't know like i you would want to think that there would be some sort of institutional pushback either from within poland or you know the greater, I don't know, European collective. Uh, and, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of opposition to this right now. And it seems to be gaining momentum, obviously in Poland. And, in, and you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum in, in places like um, Italy and Greece and Spain and uh, Germany to some extent. Uh, it's, it's a really scary development that doesn't seem to be going away. And I think a lot of people just assumed it would. Um, with the history of fascism and communism and just partisanship and, you know, the ability for political movements to drastically um, evolve and mutate on that continent. It's, it's a really scary thing to think that there's this, this kind of cancer that's growing there, kind of, you know, underneath the radar, but it's, it's virulent at this point, and it seems to be spreading more and more rapidly. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know at this point. I'm not sure how you come back from what they've already done. And you can and see stages. You can think about what's happened in Venezuela or what's happened in Hungary with Viktor Orban. Turkey. They seem Turkey. They see Russia, Putin. Mm -hmm. They're further along the trail. But now Poland seems to be along that path where they're looking yep. at those models to say, this is how you do it. You delegitimize the opposition. You do whatever you can do to stay in power. And you're still democratic in the sense that there are institutions and there are elections, but you're not democratic in that broader normative sense. Right. And, and it would be interesting if 
if Poland were alone, whether there would be widespread pushback from the EU and from NATO and other countries. But um, this uh, this is uh, what you were saying, Nick, is that the for a sort of anti-immigrant right-wing party to do these sorts of things at the same time that you have those parties coming to power in so many other European countries, you're just not going to get a whole lot of pushback. But then, you know, you end up you go to you end up down that road farther than you intended and. Yeah, I, I, it, the, the future is not, it, it doesn't look good. A lot of these topics have been sad. It's very sad. Yeah, they yes. have been. That's why our last topic is going to be <laughs> funny. <laughs> so for our final topic, Phil is going to read us a quote from Donald Trump, and then we're just going to talk about that quote. <laughs> so, so Phil, whenever you're ready. All right. I, I don't. <laughs> it's a long quote, but it's good. I'll just, I'll just read it straight out because that's the way I came across it, and I didn't have any context. I have broken, this is direct quote, I have broken more Elton John records. He seems to have a lot of records. And I, by the way, I don't have a musical instrument. I don't have a guitar or an organ. No organ. Elton has an organ and lots of other people helping. <laughs> nope. We've broken a lot of records. We've broken virtually every record because, you know, look, I only need this space. <laughs> they need much more room for basketball, for hockey, and all of the sports. They need a lot of room. We don't need it. We have people in that space. So we break all these records. Really, we do it without, like, the musical instruments. <laughs> this is the only musical, the mouth, and hopefully the brain attached to the mouth, right? The brain, more important than the mouth is the brain. The brain is much more important. End quote. That's our president. I want a monument with that on the wall, like the Jefferson Memorial. Is it strange to me that on some level I understand that? I get what he was talking about, yeah. right? Because he's getting at, he's talking about the fact, he's talking about crowds Crowd. in the space and Elton John. He's got a lot of records, but he's transitioning between topics. Uh, and then he's, it's, it makes sense, but it's insane. <laughs> I have no words. <laughs> Okay, here's a question. You, you said you saw the video clip of this. Yes. And that some quotes of his seem crazy, but when you see the co the clip, yeah. they actually kind of make a little more sense. This was but, at the rally, correct? Yes, yeah. in Montana, Mon which maybe we can start there. But yeah, so I saw the video of this. And, and as you said, Phil, oftentimes when you read something of Trump, you're going, what, what in the world is he talking about? And then you hear him stay, say it, and his speaking style makes more sense. This one, it's... It's just out there. You're like, what? What is he talking about? You kind of get it, but at the same time, you're like, this is he's 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 gone he too far. On another level, you don't even understand. Right. This Montana rally was bonkers. It's like there's no more guardrails for him. He just jumps into whatever topic he wants. Truth. I think the Washington Post did. They have this truth factor. Whatever they do, they they rate the the truthfulness of his statements. It was something like 75% of the things he said at the rally were false or misleading, right? I mean, he's not even trying to be truthful anymore. Um, and some of it is just confusing. It's a rally. It's not a deposition. It'll be okay. He's, <laughs> he's, should he still be having rallies? Well, I mean, why, that's a topic he... for a different podcast. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> why is he having rallies? <laughs> right. right. Fun. Do you not like going to a good rally? Rallies are awesome. <laughs> My wife was reading something Apparently. to me the other day where they were talking about politicians who've had rallies after they've assumed power. None of them are Democrats, right? I mean, not like Democratic. I mean, none of it was like Hitler and They're Mussolini, like right? And I was like, whoa. So this is we're in weird territory here, <laughs> and he's feeling more comfortable in the position of the presidency, right. and he just says things. Um, yeah. So 
that's the part that's a little concerned. I mean, this is the, again, I, we're beating a dead horse. We talked about this with, <laughs> with Tom. We've talked about this yeah. over and over again. But uh, as he has essentially solidified his control of the Republican Party and of Fox News, and as you get with this extreme partisanship that we have in America, once he sort of captures the party, once people think that Donald Trump is, you know, he's our Republican leader and so therefore he's good, it it does loosen the limits on him, right? He yeah. can go to these and just say whatever the whatever the hell he wants, right? The crazy stuff that he wants to say. And that's where, yeah, I mean, it, it felt like he had to be more restrained because there was more pushback within the party before. And it feels like there's almost no pushback within the Republican Party anymore. No. There, I don't, but earlier you would see Republicans who would express discomfort at things that Donald Trump said. And you just don't, I don't know if it's just not being covered, but you just don't hear that anymore because it's a losing battle maybe i don't i don't know that that's what's disheartening to Dude, me they're old and tired they can <laughs> only fight for so long are you talking about republican politicians or republican voters <laughs> yes <laughs> well we should so there was this statement but over the last couple of weeks he's had all sorts of random tweets where you know he he's a he's called Maxine Waters crazy and corrupt. He's gone after uh, Harley Davidson. He's suggested that uh, Obama was like sneaking Iranian citizens in. He, d- he just doesn't care anymore. He'll say anything. Um, there was the famous tweet he had last week where he said, after having written many best-selling books and somewhat priding myself on my ability to write, it should be noted that the fake news constantly likes to pour over my tweets looking for a mistake. And he misspelled the word pour over. Um, I capitalize certain words only for emphasis, not because they should be capitalized. Right. I mean, it's 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 in that tweet. I feel like that's a joke. He's (laughs) he's detached from reality. He didn't even write his own books. Right. 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 Ghostwriters. It's it's, I I get some enjoyment watching the never Trumper Republicans on TV because you can tell they're so panicked. They're so upset. Never Trump or Republican? Yes, uh, like uh, Bill Crystal and oh. uh, Max uh, Power. What's Max? What's his name? Max Power. That was the name that Homer Max Simpson took on when he changed his name. Max. What is his name? I can't think of Boot. Max Boot. There's a whole host of them, <laughs> and I think they've all gone to MSNBC because they can't find a, a spot at Fox anymore. Yeah, they all have to um, cry together. Yeah, and they're just troubled, uh, Charlie Sykes, about what's going on in the Republican Party, and they seem to get how insane this is in the same way that democrats do but so many republicans i think there's just been an acceptance of this mm-hmm. those sorts of ta- those sorts of speeches like at that rally it feels like it's it's like if you had a comedian <laughs> who was like yes. quick give me like five topics throw some facts at me and i'm gonna go out and just bullshit for like 20 minutes on yeah. it. and that it's like there is this very loose connection to reality and that these are real issues and he has some of the facts that are tied into it, right? Like he can name MS-13 or whatever, yes. but then he just makes up all the other stuff about it, right? Just but he makes would, it up on the spot. He would be such a he would be a headliner comedian selling yes. out stadiums everywhere. He's his comedic timing is second to none. Yeah, that wacky Jackie thing was hilarious. <laughs> I don't care what the context was; his timing was brilliant. And I will say, as as somebody who is deeply, deeply troubled by the Trump presidency. I'm still entertained by him. And and I, I'm torn in that way because I feel like it's not only helping the podcast, it's terrible for the country, but you you are pulled in by that. And it makes me wonder whether others, McCarthy and other populists, had a similar skill set. It makes them it makes him endearing to a lot of people. Because yes, he just he doesn't sound like a politician. And what I keep hearing from a lot of people is 
will we ever be able to go back to, you know, we're going to come up with, you know, measured and, you know, realistic goals and opinions and, you know, childcare and immigrant and Policy, like the, yeah. the politics guy. Oh, you're you're that guy. We know what you do. You don't do shit. Yeah. But I this is. I, you can, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if we could ever go back to that. I'm sorry, I interrupted what you were going to say, Phil. I was just no, I was just going to say that you were talking about how he's entertaining. I would love it if he lost the next election, but people told him that he had won. And so he <laughs> oh, spent God. the next four years going around and still talking about stuff <laughs> so that I could be entertained by it. Truman Although show he thing. no longer actually had the power to change laws. That would be Hilarious. a great, that would be a great. A Truman <laughs> show of you just get him his own space you create him his own white house <laughs> put him in a dome oh my god nick this is a brilliant idea <laughs> that's a perfect way to end oh boy uh we went long but this was good that was a good one yeah well, yeah i mean we didn't we didn't get to talk to people forever that's right that was a very long time yeah um doing the thing where i gotta do things and make stuff get the music and whatnot um yeah, so uh, podcast, if you liked what we're talking about or don't like what we talk about, I don't really care if, as long as you want to talk about it. Um, follow us on Twitter at uh, Barstool Paul, Facebook, I guess, at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on the Untapped app uh, on iOS and Android. Um, so give us beer suggestions or just follow us on there for our reviews and whatnot. Um, podcast itself, you can find on SoundCloud and Stitcher. And most major Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Uh, most of you are listening on iTunes, so uh, like us, review us on there, share us with people through there. Um, that helps a lot. Anything else I'm missing? It's great, awesome. Anything else from you guys? Enjoy Paris, Paris, Paris next week. You from Paris, I'm going to Paris. Yeah, we'll talk Supreme Court next week with Tom Cavanaugh. Oh yeah, that'll yeah. be good. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers, guys.